0: Be narrow, be specific, pick what works for you, use data as an input to what that decision should be, but don't let it entirely drive the decision. Don't let Facebook's most recent updated algorithm be the thing that like really skews your perspective on how you should go to market for your business.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Every company should think like a media company. Today's guest, Shane Hedge, the CEO and co-founder of Air, a creative operation system for marketers. Today we chat about what is a media company, why everybody should think like a media company, and why you shouldn't always jump on the latest chat. Look forward to hearing this episode. What's up, Shane? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, man! Thanks for having me. I wanted to get started because you built a pretty cool company, and I wanted to talk about how did you even come up with the idea for Air, and how did you even get? What's your background before that?
0: You know, it's funny. I was just reading a article by Lenny Rucheski about, you know, there's this narrative out there that every founder has to have lived in the problem that they're trying to address. And, and at AIR, we built this creative operations system and the target market is marketers and creatives. And, you know, I can wear as many black t-shirts as I want to, but like I'm not a creative and I wasn't a marketer. And so, you know, our journey into this category came really through study and, and practice in many ways outside of the category. My co-founder and I both met at Stanford and you know I was studying sort of an interdisciplinary engineering program where I studied computer science and finance. He was focused on computer science. And our parents, both of them, he grew up in the city, I grew up in Ohio, but they had just worked in, in media. And so there was this media bone in our, in our bodies a little bit where we knew we were both gonna end up in tech in some arena. Uh, but media was just really interesting for for each of us as a category. And so post-graduation for about 10 years, you know, our careers were at this intersection of media and technology. He started a live streaming company in school, uh, ended up selling it his senior year and went and was the head of live streaming at a publicly traded business called SFX Entertainment in New York. Not a bad gig for a 20-nothing to be flying around the globe you know, plugging his computer and phone into DJ booths to stream music festivals, like kind of every kid's dream in their 20s. And then he started an agency in New York called Postlight, uh, that built digital products for media companies. And a lot of the work he was doing was building and helping them refine content management systems. My background, you know, similar industry, but different journey. I... You know, was a sort of dropout from Stanford and a failed startup founder, Uh, you know, the the tale that people don't write about a lot. But I went back to school, got my degree, worked in angel investing for a little bit. And then I moved to New York and worked in in private equity uh, at a technology, media and telecom growth equity group uh, called HPS Partners and and really enjoyed it. Um, Had a fantastic time, really solidified my understanding of like the, the legacy media world and how it was intersecting with technology. And while doing that, we found an opening in the space where, you know, in New York at that time, this is 2013, 2012, you know, there's all these media companies like Vox and BuzzFeed and Vice that had built internal content management systems. And it was allowing them to efficiently get content out at a scale and a level of um, efficiency that had never been seen before. And so the belief was basically that these were tech companies. And they weren't, but they had just built internal content management systems. And I thought it was brilliant they were doing this, but I thought it was, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, but I thought it was really stupid that they were trying to build up big engineering teams and build really scalable architecture. And so my perspective was we should build content management systems for media companies back in 2015. And I thought when I wanted to start this company, that that was going to be our beginning and Tyler and I were going to go off and get that going. But my my boss in private equity, you know, politely told me I shouldn't do that. And I should at least go try and be a buyer in the category and see if this was a real need. And so I moved over to one of our portfolio companies, became the chief digital officer of a television network. And my job was effectively this, was to transform how the media company managed, distributed, collaborated around images and videos. And it was a nightmare. I didn't like any of the products out there, uh, but part of my job was to help lead this business through a turnaround. And you know, after executing on that, I said, look, like I really wanna go and attack this problem. So that's what, that's what really catalyzed Tyler and I to get going. You know, We started with a really simple problem statement. It's difficult for specifically media companies to manage tons of content in the cloud at scale. And really, over the course of our first 12, 18 months of trying to find product market fit and refine the business, what we understood is that today, every company across the globe is a media company, whether they like it or not. And it's direct-to-consumer brands. It's a hospitality company. Last week at AIR, I literally, I'm sitting down in front of me, there's a check from an oil refinery company in Texas that just bought our product because they're creating so much content at such a level of scale. And it's not just for marketing and creative exercises. Now, sales team needs content, partnerships, product, operations. Uh, so content's flowing through different workflows, hence why we believe every company is a media company, and AIR is intending to be the creative operation system that automates that work. How would you think about
1: a company that in traditional media or like a traditional media company start thinking about executing a media strategy?
0: Well, I think part of your question there is, what the hell do I mean when I say every company is a media company? What is a media company? Yeah. And the plain vanilla description of what a media company is, is a company that creates content for distribution exercises across a number of different channels. And my argument is that today, regardless of what industry you're in, you're pumping content through a bunch of different channels. Now, those channels look dramatically different depending on what company you are or what stage of business you're in or what industry you're involved with. But the exercise is the same. You're creating content, you're refining it, you're distributing it, you're analyzing its performance. You're running the creative process. And so, you know, if you are a direct consumer brand, you might be pumping out a ton of vertical video content for social media platforms like Snap and TikTok and Instagram. If you are a oil refinery in Texas that I just mentioned, you might be having people out in the field recording on their phones and content is coming in because you're going and surveying land. Or if you're a driveway installation company in California, somebody just signed up last week. You're going and analyzing, okay, how are we going to do this job? And people are narrating feedback in real time and sending that back in the office. So media companies aren't just companies that publish content for you and I to view as consumers. Media companies are companies that publish content for anybody to view across their organization. And my argument is that on more and more frequent and growing basis, content is being used across different industries and teams and workflows. And so... The operations team, your, your HR department might be using content in more dynamic ways than they ever have, as is a number of different teams in your organization that never previously would have worked with a piece of content before, a piece of visual data.
1: The way I also think about it is the how we used to consume media has changed. And the way we consume media is the barrier to entry is very easy so like youtube tick like me today can go on my phone and create content and it could be seen by thousands of people before about let's say before social media the only way you would be able to be seen is you would have to either be get on a tv show um you had to write for a newspaper like the, the traditional ways of doing it was different but now Everybody has access, so like companies have access now to produce content the way that older traditional media companies. It's funny.
0: I was talking to a buddy who's also a customer. He runs a direct consumer smoothies product, and their best performing ad units were he did this giveaway where he was giving away a box of their product for just a thirty second video of what he thought about it, and. People were, you know, just random consumers were just sending in videos. They weren't influencers. They weren't, you know, some big brands that were creating content around it. They weren't agencies. Just some random moms, dads, kids creating content sending them. And then they were pumping those out as ad spots and they absolutely crushed it for them. And so exactly your point, you know, anybody can be a content creator around an organization. It's funny. I obsess about Adobe's annual reports because that's the lighthouse for us. That's the business we want to build. And our pers- and what's really interesting, if you look at Adobe's 2021 annual report, they said for the first time in the history of their business, as a business that's 30 plus years old, their core customer has changed. Adobe's core customer is no longer a designer. It's what they call a visual communicator. It's someone involved in the creative process who works with images and videos throughout their day to day. And that's not someone who might have a design title anymore or a marketing title for that matter. It's, you know, somewhere between 60 and 80% of the org is working with content at a level of scale um, on YouTube devices.
1: What do you think is the like greatest challenge right now in building a media company for a brand since everybody's starting to catch onto the trend?
0: Because we all can create content now. I can put on portrait mode on my iPhone and take a beautiful picture so can you. Because we can do that, the bar is so high for just the the base level. And you have to have a really dynamic content strategy of like, what is our voice? What is our brand? How are we trying to say it? What channels are we really going to hammer? And to all of those questions, what are we not going to do? And I think a lot of people try to spray and pray and you have to do that early on before you get signal to double down. But what I've found is that the best media companies are not the ones necessarily with the biggest creative departments or the most seasoned veterans, but it's the ones with a really, really specific, clear perspective on this is the type of content we're going to create. This is who the customer is. This is how we're going to reach them. And they just hammer that home again and again and again, and you do not have to boil the ocean as a media company. You can be a media company and you only have a following on Instagram or you only have a following on your newsletter, and that's okay. And I think sometimes people are sort of pushed to like try something that someone else is doing or push to a channel that a competitor is working on. And that that doesn't have to be the case. And so that would be my answer to the question. But I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I have two perspectives on it. I think that since there is a lot of content being produced right now, I have the same theory as you. People say that attention spans the reason that people don't consume content. I just think the level of creativity and the information that you're divulging in your content is needs to be at a higher level for it to be consumed. And you have to do the things that make a good piece of content like actually give value, have a hook at the beginning. And then the second part, I think that's changing the game of content is, is this thing of relevancy expertise and who the person is producing the content. I think people are traditionally don't trust. They now people are trusting more of the person who's creating the content versus like the, the entity. So like when people are producing content from, let's say, let's go HubSpot or let's go... They want to know like who's producing the content. They don't want to know HubSpot's producing the content. I think the, the who is changing because right now, even when you go to Google, you can get the top 20 results and none of them are good content because people played the algorithm. They didn't play the value game. Now the value game is who. So I think the level of content, but also like, who is the expert
0: creating the content is becoming more and more important. Yeah. And you have to, you have to sort of think about it as everything we're doing helps us build authority. And the minute we do something half-assed, we lose our credibility. That's part of the this sort of like mindset of a media company. You know, we, we've made the mistake you know, through the journey of our company, uh, as an example, with SEO content and, and writing content for our blog, like we made the mistake of working with external agencies, you know, for a period of time where they don't have a real; pers- they're just trying to play the like arbitrage, wordsmith game to try to get some, you know, links out there and get some target words in this, in the, you know, in the title and in the H one tag, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, my, my perspective there is that like. Sure, those pieces are optimized to be to optimize, to be able to work on you know Google and rank on the first page for a bit, but then the articles suck and people don't read them and they don't share them and they don't come back to them. And not only does that fade, but it also reduces the authority of the brand. To your point about like credibility and the brand matter. And you know, I talked to other. I talked, literally just talked to a founder of a SaaS business last week who. Their core job over the last three years has been to just write really great articles specifically oriented around what their customers care about. And now, to your point, whenever they search that question on Google, maybe they're the seventh thing that comes up. But you resonate with the brand and you believe that they will guide you to an answer that is correct or has authority or has an opinion that you believe in. And so you follow through with it. It's
1: funny you said that because I talked to... The OG content people, like Jay Bear, the other day, and he was ta- telling me like the basic company needs to create content that answers the questions your customers are going at every different part of the funnel. So, like at top of funnel, what questions are your customers having? At middle funnel, what they having? At sale, what are they having? At post sale, what are they having? Every piece of content you need to figure out what those questions are that. Are top of mind. What are those objections top of mind? And create content that stop divulging and creating like creative and cool content great too, but not at the expense of creating content to answer and educate the buyer along the journey. I think that's the problem that people are they're going away from creating content that actually people care about because people make the mistake as a company that people actually want to consume your content and I think that's the problem is like as a company people are coming to get educated on their problem that they're having throughout the journey and they're not coming to for your piece of content unless you you create this great media arm that is pumping up great great content daily that does not even talk about your industry I mean your product at all So
0: I think there's two buckets that could fall under that. It's it's funny. I think, I mean, a lot of SEO content can almost be viewed through the lens of like kids TV. You know, you want to find these like seminal things that, you know, folks will understand and give them a packaged lesson that they keep coming back to because the lesson is helpful. In kids TV, that's things like brushing your teeth or how to cut an apple And, you know, for whatever your customer is, for us, those might be things like how to build a brand book or how to get feedback on content or how to evaluate what agency to work with, right? These are all things that our core customer winds up being a marketer. That's what they care about. And so we want to provide them with packaged lessons that end up as blog posts, but are clear and transparent and effective. And like every time they come to this problem, they're like, oh, let me reread this thing. And they actually want to reread it because it's actually useful. And that second part of that statement is so hard to deliver on. And it has to come from a place of actual understanding and not like, let me aggregate together these 10 other articles that other companies have written and like get it backlinked in these like five different publications. That's
1: the balance that people play. I think SEO is important. I just think that SEO, the traditional way SEO was done is changing. The more important things are answering those long form questions that customers have, ranking for things that matter, and there are places where you can cheat the the like having a Twitter profile that's higher on the (laughs) ranking and stuff and and answer having the frequently asked being in the the frequently asked question section of Google. But the question, next question, I have for you is:
0: What is a a hill that you would Die on. Do not chase the most recent marketing arbitrage opportunity. SEO at one point, we've been talking about SEO a bunch. SEO at one point used to be a hack. You used to be able to like get up a blog post. You'd be the first thing serving Google. This is probably 10 years ago, and 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. HubSpot murdered that game, right? They built, in many ways, they built their business off of a world-class content marketing strategy specifically around SEO. You know if you get your mindset in the media company media companies through the like late 2000s were all trying to be view based so they you know would put content out on Instagram and they would put content out on Facebook and they would put content out on YouTube they were all trying to chase views and there was guidance around like okay if you want to hack the algorithm like do this thing and then teams would shift to all do that and i know the name has been dragged through the mud for a long time but My one hill that I'll die on a lesson that I learned on the investment side is Vice, in many ways said, hey, forget about, fuck whatever the latest hack is to get views. We are going to have a perspective and opinion. We're going to take our position and we're going to do our position really well. And Vice was one of the first companies to start uploading over 20 minute long things onto YouTube on a consistent basis that were produced. Now, they still shot the same way, guy with the camera, whatever, running around. But they had a clear perspective that our customers here, they'll watch quality stuff, they'll watch quality stuff for a long time. There's no data that suggests they would do that. It's not a big hack that someone else is doing, but it's right for us. And they absolutely crushed it. And they grew their business off of like really pronounced viewership and subscribership through YouTube, a channel that like... Other people weren't exploiting the way they were. Was, Everybody's was like, what are you doing? Putting 20 to 30 to 40 minute videos on YouTube. You know, as an example today, let's bring this message home. Like, a lot of people are like chasing after TikTok right now to try to see if it's going to work for them. And by all means, like, test it out. But like, make sure that like it, it's right for you. The opinion you take towards it fits whatever your business is. Your customer is there. You can reach your customer there. There's a way to do it. Because otherwise you're constantly just going to get caught in this game. And we know how this stuff works, you know, for every TikTok, there's a yik yak and something, you know, like there's all this stuff, you know, the, the rage three years ago in the SaaS marketing world was to like, start a Slack community. And like, that just doesn't work for everybody. And so again, my message becomes like, be narrow, be specific, pick what works for you, use data as an input to what that decision should be, but don't let it entirely drive the decision. Don't let, facebook's most recent updated algorithm be the thing that like really skews your perspective on how you should go to market for your business
1: basically in marketing a lot of people hop on a lot of channels and that takes them away from like focusing on the core things that they're really good at i think if you are going to go try a new channel like you said before I think it's great to test new channels, and I, I'm a huge fan, and I think that should be 10% of your time executing on that. But I think if you go execute, you got to be able to do, especially on social media, that you have to be able to do 100% on that channel, and that means you are to dedicate a resource to it, someone who knows how to do it. You can't just say, okay, that's another – of my time, I'm going to go post a video on TikTok and then I'm done. (laughs) It's like, no, if you're going to go on TikTok, spend 100% of your time understanding that that platform, have someone dedicated, someone who knows the platform, do it. Don't do it 50% because that's how people lose. And that's what happens with a single creator too. It's like, I always say to single creators, is like, until you move platforms, nail the platform you're on first, like win on LinkedIn or Twitter. And then... You can go to your next platform. Until you win on that platform, you're just going to be mediocre on every platform. And your goal on a platform is to be above average. On any platform, it's to be above the average.
0: In that spirit, and how that. do you how do you know when you've won? You know, in many ways, I'm trying to build a brand that hasn't won yet. You know, we like found channels that are working. You know, number one channel for working right now for us is paid. But like, how do you know? And how do you advise marketers to know when a channel is really winning? You know, on the paid side, right, it's, like, your payback period, CAC, LTV, efficiency rate. But, like, how do you you know on some of these other ones?
1: For organic channels, it becomes a feeling at first. People start reaching out to you. They start saying good content. And then you start getting more engagement. But I think it comes down to, first, like you said before, like, understand the channel first. Understand the players on the channel. Understand – what content works on that channel, reverse engineer the best people who are doing it on that channel, and then start going to create content for yourself. So I think the best thing to do is be a consumer for the first like two to three months, understand the platform, use comments as content at first, see what comments resonate with people, and then you go and create your own content. And when you're creating your content, it's a testing game, but you should... Inherently, start understanding who you want to be known for, not anybody else. Like a lot of people, problem with personal brands. I go on personal brand side. People start creating for a company that they are today, and then five years later, a different company, and the message is not going to transform. I think when people stick to who they are and who they want to be known for. Like I want to be known as the best marketer. Yeah. You know, I'm only gonna create content around that. Oh, I wanna be the best content marketer. I want to be known as that. Then you can start sticking to the story in the long game of it. But yeah. To know when it's working, you could start telling people start commenting and then people start liking. Then some people sure. start DMing you, and then you start getting this like feeling like people and then you'll start seeing these DMs that say, I like like good content, great content, and then you then you'll start more and more people will ask you on podcasts. And it just starts becoming this like feeling first, which that's why social is a hard channel to people to invest in because they think of it as not a quick ROI. But the first ROI you get is an ROI of feeling and gut and you know that the, the platform's working. And then it inherently, what I always say is that for a personal brand side is you are on channels that you are networking at scale. So you're in rooms. When someone says who's the best content marketer, they go to you because you've been talking about it. Even though you didn't you weren't in the room, they don't know. They just know they've been consuming your content and your name gets brought up because you're associated with that inherent thing. So I think like those are the things that happen that you can't see. But I think the the one thing I always recommend is consistency and time is the that cures everything and a lot of people just give up
0: after five posts because it doesn't work it's funny for businesses i feel like organic social it's hard to justify on the balance sheet right anyway you run the math for the first year the return profile isn't where you need it to be and to your point it's time and consistency and so you know i think part of what can happen through that time as long as there's experimentation is an understanding of like what is the voice? What is the type of content that really resonates with the type of customer we're trying to target? And then, to your point, it's just hammer that out again and again and again and again, and, again and. and it's tough. You know, I feel like it's funny. You know, there's always memes now about all these brands who like tried to develop a personality on social and really humanize themselves uh, over the course of the last ten years. And I get, I get why, right? Like on social, people want to see people, um, and they want to see you know, an individual and a perspective. And, and so Wendy's has to comment on your post from the Wendy's account. But I'm curious as to how long that is going to to last versus, like, should Wendy's be staying within their their lane, if you will, and, like, stuff that is oriented around their business? It's, it's you know, for Wendy's as a consumer brand, and I don't know why we've landed on the Wendy's tick, but, like, you know, it's a different analysis than for, like... A SaaS company, like in many ways, a bunch of our investors are like, Shane, what the hell are you guys doing on social? <laughs> like, you know, replying to people and being quippy and like you're not even talking about what you guys are selling, and you know it's it's tough. You know, I've been I've been super bullish on you know the, our marketing team and, and their perspective on why we're doing what we're doing, and, and some of it is audience building and finding our customer and trying to operate like a media company or even a consumer product versus an enterprise one, just given our good market motion.
1: Wendy's isn't a, a crowded market versus of a, a lot of brands that are, are doing great marketing. I think them being top of mind and social inherently like They see someone sees Wendy's on social and then they go driving and then they see a Wendy's, like it it keeps them in the space of their mind. If you're not top of mind, like so, I think they are winning in the sense of okay, I just saw Wendy say something funny and then now I'm driving and it's just like, oh, I have a good feeling about Wendy's and now I want a good food. I'm thinking of, oh, Wendy's, I just saw Wendy's doing something and it has nothing to do with their business, but they just. They have been giving a good feeling, and it's just entertainment. It's not a strategy that works for everybody. Like I think entertainment's one way to go. I think the point going back is Wendy's. That's who they nailed their voice down. They wanted to yeah. be this funny, blah 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 brand that does X, Y, and Z, and they know their cus- They know they're fighting against McDonald's, who does yeah. good funny stuff. They know they're fighting against. Taco
0: Bell that does good stuff. They're they're fighting against all these. Would you recommend that for an enterprise software company targeted at marketers that's building a creative operation system that really hates that people use Dropbox and Google drive to run their creative process? Like what's your perspective on what we should do on social?
1: I think it goes back and, and I think this is everybody would say, but deeply understanding who. Like your and talking to your buyers and understanding, like, what type of people, what are their interests? Like, what do they like to do on the weekend? Like, what do they like to do for their five to nine? Where do they hang out? Are they on Twitter? Are they on TikTok? Are they on this? Like, what is their favorite TV show? What is this? And then, if you want to go down the funny route, it works with some people, it doesn't, but you have to know how to do it. But I think for inner, I've heard some of my friends who are in the industry say enterprise buyers are just more tied in up buyers. Like they are, I don't know why they say this, but it's just like people are people. In my perspective they they laugh. But the thing is that it becomes less professional because they're, they were the older guard at the first, <laughs> like the traditional enterprise company. I think yeah. the newer enterprise companies will be like, Oh, that's funny. I love it. But like, if you're trying yeah. to work with like, a company that's been around for like 30 years, like an totally. IBM, for example, yeah. it might be a little harder to get into <laughs> something like that. But at the end of the day, you're attracting marketers. So I think it has to be like, if that aligns with your brand or not, if you're trying to be a fun brand or you're trying to be a a classy brand, are you trying to be like, and that's decided on like yeah. what your why is. Again, against. against yeah. that a lot of people. So it's my perspective is like, talk to the people who who are buying and who are, are seeing you online and understanding yeah. who, what they actually care about and then totally. create something around that. I think that's where people go wrong. So I never say like, yes, go funny. I'm in the big fan of like there's two ways of doing it. It's like you can go like the media arm rod and be funny, cool, have a personality. There's also a way to be entertaining and educating about a topic but at the same time, as your space is a creative space, so like creativity is what's going to keep you standing out, and they want to see you as great,
0: creative. So, yeah, no, it's, it's been it's been interesting, man. Yeah, you know, I, I think we're we're definitely figuring out as we go, and, and one just like nod i we'll give in, in, in that we're you know we're getting there in the right direction on, on social in the last three months. You know, we closed a new a new customer. It's a Fortune one hundred business. And they just really loved this LinkedIn content that, like, one of our social media managers was putting out. And that deal started because of an inbox on LinkedIn based off of a comment that they made on a post that we had on social that, you know, was a part of our content strategy. So regardless of scale of who your customer is, I think, you know, you can continue to find them on.
1: Yeah, and I think it's how you communicate what you're trying to do. And if you can communicate that in a funny way, you do it in a funny way. If if it's hard to communicate that, it's just how you can simplify your message. And that's either entertaining, educating, inspiring. But entertaining doesn't always mean funny. Entertaining just means that it brings some sort of emotion out in someone where they, they either laugh or they... They look at that like, oh, I didn't think of it like that. So you're in the creative space right now and you're seeing a lot of this, a lot of things happening. What is one trend that's actually a a trend that you're seeing that marketers actually should be jumping on right now that
0: a lot aren't? Most e-commerce businesses are suffering right now from exorbitantly high customer acquisition costs. And most of that is coming from their channels that are oriented around paid. And so, you know, in environments like this, it becomes really interesting to figure out like what's working for people and why. There's two things I've actually heard over the course of the last month that I found really interesting. One is that one, one individual I was talking to was a CMO and they were saying that, You know, pre the last three months, and this is a SaaS business for context, um, they were getting about 10% of their leads from referrals and they like had a lightweight referral program. And given what was happening with their customer acquisition costs, they had to pull back on paid and they made a partnerships hire and that partnerships hire double and tripled down on referral programs and partnerships to help accelerate those referral programs. And now three months later, they account for somewhere between 60 and 70% of the leads that this business is getting. And so you can think about it, customer acquisition costs at the end of the day, it's not just how much money do I spend on ads, but it's also spent on, you know also a portion of marketing headcount, uh, can be a portion of sales headcount, depending on what type of business you are, a portion of your customer success team, depending on what business you are. And thinking about your CAC as not just dollars out for ads and reallocating that money elsewhere, whether that's things like a performance program, there's every article I fucking read. I feel like it's about like this industry is now becoming a thing on TikTok, but like, I don't, we're experimenting there. I'll be clear. We're trying things out. I don't think like our audience is growing a ton, but we haven't really felt a huge pull on the like sign up side just yet. You know, I just was watching a, a video about how strong that pull is in, in sort of the music industry. I used to work in the music industry. I was interested there and heard a bunch of people see success there. But that feels like the plain vanilla ones. I, I would really say like referral programs and partnerships programs are working at a level of scale now that we've never seen, especially with the rise of, you know, like Substacks as an example. Now you have all these independent creators who have extremely loyal followings. And at the end of the day, what you're trying to do with any paid activities is sort of, you know, find a channel that has a has portability of an audience group. You've got to find a channel that has that portability for the least amount of money. That's effectively what you're trying to do. That money can be headcount. It can be you know, paid sponsorships, whatever. And I think localizing that, though, it requires much more coordination. If you want to work and get the same scale as Facebook, you may have to coordinate with 50 different bloggers, you know, to get into their substats, but the portability of their audiences might be much higher because the engagement or the level of loyalty that these brands have built is, is stronger. So those, I don't know, that, that would be my the, the quick things that I think I'm hearing over the course. Of the
1: yeah. I, lo- I love that. I also think on the CAC note that I think is, I think when people experience a lower CAC on a platform, it's because there's, there's less like demand of people actually advertisers on that platform so they can get less CAC. When CAC goes higher, it means there's rising advertisers. But the thing is what I think people don't do is when there is a, when more people start coming in their platform, they don't up level, their creative and copy and all their other parts in the funnel that d- should be converting. So what's happening is that they're diluting themselves. And that's why their CAC is going out. I think if you're a good advertiser and you know how to stand out, I think as more people come and CAC costs go go higher, you still could be the top advertiser on that platform, totally. bringing in a lot. And I think the problem totally. is a lot of advertisers experience low CAC and then they go to another channel because the CAC goes high. But it's just like, did you look at copy? Did you look at creative? Did you look at landing page? Did you look at all the things that you thought that, that the channel was actually working? It was actually that you had less competition on the channel to stand out. Um, so I think a lot of people just blame the channel. Last question I have for you is um, where could people find you? Where could people find air? Where could people follow you?
0: Hit up uh, www.air.inc. And uh, we'd love for, for all of you out there to try out the product. My email is Shane at air.inc. You can email me whenever you can hit me with a LinkedIn DM and, and try to sell me something. And I'll probably say yes or take a call. So Excited to, to chat with anybody out there that's interested in what we're doing in AIR and uh, really hope you try out the product. Again, we think that every company is a media company, so you, you need a creative operation system.
1: I highly agree about the statement of that everybody's a, a media company. I also think coming from an ops background, I think if you want to scale something you have to operationalize it. Um, totally. It's just, it has to, there has to be a process if you want to scale something and with the rise of media and creation of things, a process is needed. 90% of the time, it's technology that helps you with that process. So yeah, check out Air. It's
0: a cool <laughs> platform. Thanks, man. Uh, and appreciate the time. I'll talk soon. Okay. okay, bye. Thanks so much for listening. Tune
1: in next week to hear more great insights from marketing schools operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials Podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.